bright up here. <coughs> well, it's, it's good to be here. I just want to start off by thanking the uh, worship team for bringing heaven to earth. You know, there's a fine line between worship and entertainment, and they don't cross it. And I've been in many churches where it's hard to worship because you're too busy watching the talent. You ever been there? And um, I mean, that's okay. I like talented people. But there's nothing better than a worship team that comes out and actually is there because they want to see Jesus in the meeting doing something in people's lives. You know, while we were worshiping, I had to sit down and text my daughter during the worship because the Holy Spirit just fell on me. My daughter is 21. She suffers from clinical depression. And it's just hard, really hard. And the Holy Spirit came on me during worship and started speaking, and I knew it was for her. And he said, your sky will clear. Your rivers will fall and flow again. And uh, I love you. I haven't forgotten you. And I texted that to her this morning, and she texted back, thank you, with a smiley face. <laughs> but you see, that came about because they brought heaven to earth. And when heaven comes, you hear heaven's voice. You see, and that's all prophecy and all these things are. It's just you getting into his realm. And then all that's being spoken there, you're listening to it. You know, it's, it's that simple. Okay, well, uh, I want to challenge you today... Um, in the area of being a Christian in your life and in your work, it's easy to jump around and worship in here because everybody's doing it. <laughs> it's like drugs. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> but you see, it's, it, it's, it's easier when all the peers are on the same page. But when we go to work, we're our own book sometimes. And the Lord wants us to be able to uh, interact and be with our peers at work and be a representative of him there. And it's difficult to do because we strategize and we come up with concepts. We go to conferences and try to learn strategies of how to get Jesus to people. Like, it's sort of like if you go to CVS or uh, one of these places, and you're doing a transaction, you're buying toilet paper and toothpaste, and they say, do you have a CVS card? And you're like, okay, what is that? Like, I got to fill out paperwork now? You ever done that? You ever felt that? And they're like, well, you just fill it, and you're like, no, no, thank you. Well, sometimes that's what it's like when we're trying to represent Christ. You know, we're at work, and this and that, you want a Jesus card? <laughs> and it's like something separate from us. It's like we've got this thing we want to, like, show them, and they have to decide, do I want it? Do I not want it? You have no relationship with them, and yet you're trying to pawn off this idea of Jesus and break through all their ideas that they've gathered up over the last 20 years about what Jesus is through media and everything else. And you're going to break through that? Are you crazy? You're on crack? <laughs> it's not going to happen. So our model and our concept of how we represent Christ to the world has got to change. It has to change, okay? Oh, all right, three things. 
that are going to help you with this. Number one, responsive. We have to learn to respond to God's divine initiative. Like, what is God initiating in your life? And then number two, how do we react and respond to the world around us because of that initiation that comes from God? In other words, God, what are you doing and how can I join you in your work? Not, I have to go talk to Bob about the four spiritual laws because he's not a Christian and I am. That's not, the, that's not how you do it. That's not what this is about. This is about developing real relationships. And I talk to companies all over the place and deal with their management, and a lot of the issues in companies is they're too busy being professional and they're not personal. They're too busy being a manager instead of a man or a woman. They're too busy going through the motions without the emotions. You see, they're too busy trying to do what they believe is their job responsibility, and they're not dealing with you as a human being and being vulnerable because they think it's more important to be valuable, and it's not. And so we as a group of people have to learn that working with other people and influencing other people is about being real. So responsive, the second one is real. You have to be real. You have to learn how to purposely live out authentic faith in your life and in your work. Now this isn't something that you go to work and then come up with. This is not something you do. It's something you are. That's the difference. The problem is we, we put it on as an action and it's not an intuitive state of being for us. I tell people all the time, do what you are and you'll never work again. Find out what you are, how you're wired, what you're created to be, and how you live that out, and then try to get paid for it. And you'll never work again. I don't know if it's Monday or Sunday or Saturday anymore. Because what I do is who I am. Okay? And if you can, 85%, I don't want to turn this into a business conference, but 85% of people working in America are waiting on their dream job. Think about it. Why are they working there? Security. 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 And they're wishing and hoping they were doing this. And they don't have the courage or the faith to step out and do it. And I want to challenge you to do what you are. Then things come easy. And then the third thing is being revolutionary. And I'm going to go over these in a minute. We have to revolutionize our mindset and our methods. Jesus did everything weird. Spitting on people, for heaven's sakes. And he always did things differently. Why? So they wouldn't put their faith in the method, they'd put their faith in the man. That's why he always changed the method. So we have to think about our methods of communication. You have to learn to speak people's language. I know a group of people, they're homeschoolers, as are we, and they're Christians, as are we, and one of their daughters befriended somebody and wanted to go over their house to spend the night. And this woman was talking to my wife, the mother of the daughter, about the situation. She said, well, I won't let her go over there because they're Mormons. This is the concept in a lot of people's minds, they're Mormons. Okay, I thought flashlights were for the dark, Dumbo. (laughs) 
I don't, I don't even know what to do with that story. I don't want you going over there. Those are Mormons. If a Jehovah Witness comes to my house, I can't wait to invite him in. I can't wait. We are called to love people, not change them. And that's how things start happening. You have to see people as they are, like God does. God loves you as you are, not as you should be. Or this would just be a pile of ash in here. Huh? What did you do last night? What did you watch? You know what I mean? It'd be a pile of ash. So we've got to come to grips with the reality of the situation. Okay? All right, let's get into this. The eyes of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. This is about committed to the cause. And the, and the reason why it's easy to represent Christ with a, it, throughout your life, most of it is spent at work, by the way, if you're working. The reason why it's easy is because you're committed to the cause. I read in the Song of Songs years ago, in the opening chapters, it said, all night long. Now, all night long, how many hours do you think that is? Huh? Twelve, six? It's a lot of hours. All night long, I searched upon my bed for the one my heart desires, the one my heart loves. Now, I thought to myself, the first time I read that, I thought, okay, we've got two things here. That's either commitment or a very big bed. Huh? All night long I sought for the one my heart desires. What did David say? As a deer pants after the water brook, so my soul longs after you, O God. Right? As the deer Now, this is water. When a deer is panting for water, it's usually because it hasn't had any. Huh? Without water for too long and you are dead. So this is not about a drink. This is about survival. I'll never forget, years ago, I used to be a painter. I owned Dreamcoat Company um, up in Massachusetts, and I painted for years as a professional faux finisher and custom painter, so I did a lot of high-end homes. And I'd always end up talking with the homeowners, and they're in tears, and people are saying to me, I can't believe you're a painter. This is so weird. And I'm like, it is weird. <laughs> it's very weird. I love painting. I liked painting. I liked the before and the after and all that. Um, and it was fun, and I'm a little bit of an artist, so you know, I could turn wood into marble and you know, do all that kind of stuff. It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And um, uh, I uh, did some work for my brother-in-law. He wanted me to roof a house for him in Florida because I did roofing through seminary. And uh, so I went out there, and it's like 105 degrees in a field. And I'm roofing this house out there. And I got really thirsty. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I was dying. I thought I was dying. I get down into my pickup truck, and I, I'm ravaging through the truck looking for change because about a mile out across the field, across the street, there was a 7-Eleven. And there's Coca-Cola there, and it's cold. And I kept thinking about that, and I was getting mesmerized by it, and I became a, a madman. And I'm whipping through the truck, 
and I tipped the seat, and a little can of polyurethane had been sitting on the seat, and it tipped over once and dripped down behind the seat and formed a pool under the seat of about a half an inch thick. And below that were two quarters. And I'm looking at it, and I got a hammer. And I was like, I thought I was going to start seeing daylight through the floor. I'm beating that, trying to get those quarters out like a madman. And I got him, and I'm like, oh, oh, De Niro. You know, I got that money out, and I went and got myself a Coke. And the Lord spoke to me. He says, do you want me that much? How bad do you want me? We're talking about a Coke. I mean, I lose my mind over a Coke. We got to lose our mind over Jesus. And then when you do that, you end up with his mind. And when you end up with his mind, you don't mind. And that's the way it works. So this is about commitment. We have to be responsive to God's initiative. God's calling us out of a gathering mentality, and he's, he's trying to bring us into an invading mentality. Okay? Not here, it's out there. And I work in the workplace. Uh, that's where you work, I guess. <laughs> and uh, I was painting a house one time, and uh, there was this woman that uh, lived there. I did not like her. Um, she was about 400 pounds and very mean. And uh, I knew her from other in situations and avoided her. Uh, and she called one day and said, um, I got your name, I gave it to my landlord, I want you to paint the house. And uh, uh, so I hope this goes well, we'll wait and see what happens. And I'm like, yuck, you know, I'm dreading this, I don't want to work over there. Anyway, I got the stupid job, and uh, I go over there and I'm working, and I'm up on a ladder over a window painting some sash, and I look in, and there she is sitting in the family room facing a wall with a walker in front of her because she was so heavy she couldn't walk much anymore. And the Holy Spirit came on me and said, I want you to go down there, knock on the door, and tell her that I'm going to heal her of her weight problem. <laughs> now, do you chalk that up as bad pizza? What do you do with that? And so, you know, you start that little shaking thing, your body starts to react because you're already in denial like a second after you hear something like that. And I said, oh, no, I have to obey. And uh, so I put my tools away. I went down. I knocked on the door. She let me in, and I'm sitting across from her like, I just have to do it. I just have to, like, jump off this cliff and build my wings on the way down and hope I don't forget the duct tape. That's just how I felt. So I just looked at her and said, I was out on the ladder. God spoke to me. He told me if I pray for you, he'll deliver you of your weight problem. I just said it. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, she started to weep. She just started weeping. She said, three days ago, my father died. And he went to the grave hating me because I'm heavy. It ruined our relationship. And she said, yes, would you please pray for me? And right then, her husband came home, and there was three of us praying. And I was just weeping. The only prayer I had was, like, not even words. I just cried. All of a sudden, it went from not liking this lady to having the compassion of Christ. It came on me like a blanket. And I just prayed for her. She, several months later, we moved to Massachusetts, but while we were loading the truck, they drove by, pulled up onto my grass, 
he got out of the car and he walked up to me and gave me $100. They were on a fixed income. And he said, I don't know what you're doing in your life, but I want to be a part of it, and this is the only way I know how to do that. And uh, he said, my wife's lost 40 pounds since you prayed for her. And that, my friends, was at work. That wasn't at an altar with someone I know really, really well. That was at work with a client. And the Holy Spirit showed up and did something. See, why did I do... Do you think I, like, wanted to go say, hey, God told me you're heavy? Do you think I wanted to do that? Do you think I'm like, hey, let's create a story for the masses? Are you crazy? It was something that God was doing, and I just went with the flow. And that's what we have to learn to do. We have to stop protecting ourselves. We have to stop guarding our reputations. We have to start standing up for what is right because it's right. That's got to be the driving force and the driving reason. I found a statistic that said Dallas, where I'm living now, I just moved a couple weeks ago, so I'm very discombobulated. Dallas is the most Christianized city in the United States, yet is the least affected. It is the most Christianized city in America, and it is the least affected city. Statistics remain the same or are higher when it comes to drugs and all these other things. So although there's more Christians there per capita than anywhere, nothing's happening. It's not, the place isn't changing. What is wrong with this picture? So I feel like El Cid coming into Dallas on a horse. <laughs> Going to start with me. We gotta, we gotta affect the, the, the state. We gotta affect people. We gotta come out from the walls and go out and affect people. So we have to do that by responding. We have to be uh, courageous. Courage is not the absence of fear, it's the absence of self. You gotta take yourself out of the equation. I call it self subtraction. You gotta pull yourself out of the equation. That's what Jesus did, he didn't consider himself to be anything, to be significant. He took upon himself the form of the servant, became made in the likeness of man. You know that story. He abased himself and served. And that's what we need to do. We need to be servants. Okay. We have to be real. We have to be genuine. We have to live out an authentic faith. You have to die the death that counts. You got to be content to know nothing, do nothing, and be known for nothing. Now you're ready. You have to be content to know nothing, do nothing, and be known for nothing. A lot of people can't do that. What about me? What do I get out of this? Oh, I did this great thing. I want to make up a testimony and tell everyone what great things I did for God. Because <laughs> you have a poor self-image. And you want people to think you're an active member of his kingdom. So you're really doing that for you. It's really not for others. You've got to be content to know nothing, do nothing, and be known for nothing. Amen. I'll never forget talking to somebody one time about something they did, and they're looking at me with this false humility, going, it's all him. It's all him. I'm thinking, you lying. What are you talking about, it's all him? You're the one that broadcasted it. 
You see, we, we have to change the dynamic of how we're thinking. We have to be genuine. I was painting a barn once back in the painting days. The Holy Spirit came on me and said, call your brother-in-law and tell him that if he doesn't change, I'm going to leave out what it was, about himself, he's going to lose his mind, then he's going to lose his family, and then he will lose his life. I have to call my sister's husband and tell him this? It's three in the afternoon. I wrote it down on a napkin in the truck. I put everything away. I went home. I went into my home office, and I picked up the phone, and I called him, and I read the napkin to him. If you don't change this, you will lose your mind, then you will lose your family, and then you will lose your life. I talked to him for three hours. He admitted it was so. He didn't know how I knew, neither did I. But I was committed to work with him. I was committed to help him because I loved him. Six or so months later, he sent me a letter denying everything, acting very strange, uh, very strange. And I'm thinking, he's lost his mind. Several months after that, he threw my sister out and his daughter. And they had to go live with my mother, and he threatened to gut my parents like Christmas turkeys in a letter. And then he killed himself. He lost his mind. He lost his family. He lost his life. And the Holy Spirit told me that while painting a barn. Now, here's the greater end of the story. I put the stuff away and read it to him. I'm thinking God's either dead or, and I'm nuts, or this is real and he's in danger. Well, what do you do when that happens? You risk it all for helping. I would have rather have been wrong and done that than have been right and said nothing. Because even though he didn't make the necessary changes and attempts to work on this thing, the power of God is still revealed to those who lived that story and knew that God tried everything in his power to rescue him. You have to be courageous. I was consulting with a company, and I go in there, and I was in there for five days, several hours a day, working with them. And on the last day, the owner and his wife and I meeting in the office, the owner gets up, drops F-bombs, swearing, and maybe I'm not supposed to be leading anything, and slams the door and walks out. And his wife's looking at me going, what do we do now? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like Jesus drawing in the sand. What do I do now, Father? You know, you get to those, even as a consultant, you know, you don't know what to do sometimes. What do you do? People are weird. He just flipped out. So we went to lunch and he came back and he apologized. So I started talking to him and it came out that he was adopted. I said, you know, that really makes sense because of this, 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 and this. And I put it all on the line. I was ready to lose them as a client in telling them the truth than to keep them as a client and just say what I think they want to hear. Now, we're talking about work, folks, not church. At the end of that day, I get called into their office. I billed them 
I sent an invoice to them. I brought it with me, actually, Friday morning and gave it to them. At the end of the day, they were supposed to honor it. And I get called in, and I get in there, and she's standing there with the envelope like this. And I'm thinking, ooh, that does not look good. <laughs> I'm thinking, what is this? Why are you charging us so much money? And uh, she handed it to me. She goes, here's your invoice. And uh, I said, thank you. She goes, I want you to open it. So I did. Instead of giving me 5000 they gave me 10000 And they looked at me and said, this is more what you are worth for telling us the truth. Is that crazy? <laughs> so we spent Christmas in Dallas. <laughs> we were in Massachusetts at the time. But you see, risking it all to be honest for their sake, not your own. So we have to be genuine. We have to be authentic. We can't wear a mask. We can't have that persona. We have to be real. Years ago, I was walking through a hallway in a church, and one of the elders walked by, and he said, how you doing? I said, terrible. He kept walking. He didn't seem to really care how I was doing. It was just what you say to somebody when you pass in a hallway. You see, the words we speak, their spirit, their life, it's important that when we talk with people, we meet with people, it's all authentic. It's all real. You know, even in First Peter, he talks about the trials and the tribulations that we go through. These have come so that your faith, though refined by fire and more precious than gold, may be found to be genuine and authentic. God's trying to find authenticity. He's trying to find authentic people. You have to die the death that counts. That's part of this thing. It's not about you, it's about them. When you're at work, it can't be about you preserving yourself. You know, the Greek word ethos, actually, when it comes to psychology, means the, most, the foremost important emotion when it comes to self-preservation. And so the ethos that we're putting out there, or the, I'm sorry, the eros, the eros that we're putting out there is, is usually a, a, a drive of self-protection and, 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 and self, uh, uh, you know, propping ourselves up as something so that we can feel liked and appreciated and smart and important and all those things. And in Christ, all those things are supposed to die. They're supposed to go away. You see? They're supposed to go. My life is hidden with Christ, Paul said. He said, you know, seek those things which are above and not on things of the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see? You're dead. I mean, you can go up to a casket, open it up, and see Uncle Frank, and then go, you moron. You think that bothers him? It doesn't bother him because he's dead. So he's not about promoting himself anymore. You see, we have to live like that. That's the life that we live. And when we're at work and we see a situation and we come in to help, we come in to help as a Jesus person because that's who you are. Witnessing to people isn't an event. Sharing your faith isn't an event. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. And as believers, we have to live as those who are representatives of him in the world. And you can't do that while maintaining a reputation at the same time. I had a youth, uh, we worked in the youth group for three years up in Massachusetts, just helping as a volunteer. And uh, the kids were telling me that there's two boys in the high school that kiss in the lunch line. 
all the time. And I said, really? He said, yeah, they, they, they kiss, like for long periods of time, in the lunch line, and they're, they're two boys. And he's afraid to wear a shirt that talks about being a Christian teen from the youth group shirt. He doesn't want to wear it. And I said, look how brazen they are about what they believe, and you're a coward about what you believe. I said, they have no problem. And you know what? It didn't seem like anybody else had a problem with it either. Do you know right now the world is more open to spiritual things than ever? Right now. Thank God for the new age. It's opening doors for us. The book, The Secret, all this stuff. There was a pastor in Georgia. He said, I'm not having a hard time trying to get folks that don't know God to believe in the resurrection. I'm, tr I'm having a hard time trying to get them to believe that there's only one. I mean, you've got changes going on in the world today that are opening doors for us so that we can unashamedly talk about the things that we believe. And it's important that we do so. We also, in this process of change about being real, we have to become revolutionary. We have to revolutionize the way we think, and we have to have a revolution with ourselves. We have to move from sin management to relationship management. We have to stop shuffling the, de the deck chairs on the Titanic when it comes to sin and, and pay attention to the people that have already jumped that are floating in the water or need a life raft. You see, and that, that's, that's where we come in. We have to throw life preservers. We have to throw lifesavers. I was painting another house one time. There's another guy on a ladder next to me, and I just looked over to him. It came on me, you know, and I looked over to him. I said, if you don't stop the drugs and the stuff that you're doing, you're going to end up in prison. God loves you. He wants to help you. And uh, that was like the extent of it. He kind of laughed. And then about 15 years later, or 20 years later, I don't know what it was, he Facebooked me. He had just gotten out of prison. And he remembered. He remembered that. He was in prison. See, God is trying to get people's attention. And the only way he can get it is through you. That's the only way he's going to get people's attention, is through us. We have to work out our salvation, Philippians 2.12. We have to work out our salvation through that process of authentic faith, faith. And it says, with fear and trembling. And the word trembling, it means to earnestly labor. I think Wyeth's translation says that. It's earnestly laboring. You've got to earnestly work and labor to work your salvation out. In other words, you've got to bring it from in here out to here and into your members and let it spill on everybody else. That's a job. That doesn't happen. You have to make it happen. You have to make it happen. You have to, you have to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You have to stop it. You have to do things. I, I was a television fanatic back when I was a pastor in the eight, early 80s. So it got to interrupting everything, so I threw it away for five years. I just got rid of it. I'm like, this thing's bothering me. I had to cut it off. See, part of this revolution is, is being crazy, radical about things in your own life. When Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. What did he mean? He didn't mean go around plucking eyes out of your head, cutting your arms off. He meant you've got to get ruthless with these things. 
You've got to get ruthless with them. Revolutionary. Here it is. Change is imminent. Growth is optional. Change is imminent. Things are changing. The world is changing. You are changing. But your growth is optional. You have to grow in the changes. This is a postmodern world now. It's identified by three things. The postmoderns don't want to believe, they want to belong. Hence the mall rats and all this other stuff you see going on. It's about being in a group, being authentic, and being loved as you are. They got black mascara on, they're wearing pants that are ten times too big. They get tongue piercings, they get all these things going on. What are they trying to do? Set themselves apart as something special because nobody's telling them they're special. They want to belong to something, and to come here is to freak them out. So we have to, people aren't just going to show up here. It's better that you go there and you be authentic too. And you be vulnerable about who you are, about your issues. Don't look better than them. Don't think you're, you're instructing them. And you come up here where I'm at, your life will be better off. You have to be authentic about who you are. And you have to be authentic about who you're not. It's so much more important to know what you're not than it is to know what you are. Because now you won't be wasting your time. And God's time. You have to learn about what you don't do. Some of us were like chomping at the bit to be in the ministry. And you can't speak any more than I could be an astronaut. And you, you have to realize, I'm not good at this. And figure out what you are good at, and then give it all you got. You have to stop messing around with where you're not. And the only reason why we delve into areas where we're not gifted and talented in is because we think that the thing is significant, we're insignificant. If we can put the thing on, we're significant. Your significance is never in what your significance is never in what you do. It's always in who you are in the eyes of God. That's always and only where your significance lies. And as people, we have to learn that you and I we're significant as we are. I heard a speaker talking about he was working at a university and there was a boy there that was very heavy. He had terrible acne, and nobody liked him. And he was in his office talking with him. He said, every morning I wake up, I go to the mirror, and I spit at it. That's how insignificant he felt. And I spit at me. People feel insignificant out there. They need the love of God more than anything, and the only way they're going to get it is if we show it, not tell it. we got to show it. We've got to develop relationships with these people. I had a home group for about two years. I had a lesbian couple. Was that a wasp or my mic? It was a wasp. No, oh. it was a wasp. All right. Well, thank God. Because that would have hurt. Thank you. You scared me. I'm like, what is she doing? Okay, listen. Okay. He thought he had a partner. What was I saying? Huh? 
Oh, I had the lesbian couple coming to my home group. Listen, a lesbian couple coming to my homework, I never said anything to them for a year. Sitting there with their arms around each other on the couch. Never said a word. Just talked about the Bible, talked about Jesus, had coffee and cake, loved them for who they were. Okay? Did you get them? Honey, you get a free book. <laughs> okay. I had a lesbian couple in my home group. Never said a word to them about being lesbians. Never said anything. I just kept loving them and just kept teaching and just kept eating. Coffee cake and stuff. And after a while, one of them said, ah, this isn't for me. And the other one said, this is for me. It just happened just that quick. And the one stopped coming. Then the one that remained gave her life to Jesus. Now she's married with a family. Never said a word. Never said a word. It's just like Jesus with the woman, you know, that came in there and wept and washed his feet, and everyone's thinking, oh my God, he doesn't know who these, this girl is. And Jesus wasn't going, oh my God, if I touch her, they're gonna think maybe me and her got something going on. Because it wasn't about him. He's the only man in the world that touched her for her. At the expense of himself. And they were all thinking it. That's the kind of faith we have to live. This is about trying to correct people. This is about loving people. The Holy Ghost can do that blindfolded. We don't have to do it. We don't have to do it. Revolutionary. There's a coffee shop in Plymouth, Massachusetts, near where I used to live, named Kiskadees. It's kind of one of those cool teas, all the different kinds of tea, and all the young people hang out there, and they get you know, everybody's got their laptops, and they got Wi-Fi, and they got all kinds of specialty brownies. You have any place like that around here? You know what I'm talking about? So we, I had a guy who had a little bit of relationship with the owner go to them, and uh, we told them that we'll come and do dream interpreting. So they put up a sign and said, this Saturday, we'll, there's, there's a team here that's going to dream interpret. Interpret your dreams. So we put the sign up, and me and my buddy Phil, who's from Vermont, he's real big into dream interpretation. He goes to Burning Man and all these New Age events and has a bigger line than anybody else. And he just prophesies to them. So we're sitting in the back of Kistides on the couch, and people walk in there, and they say, uh, you got the dream guys? I'm like, yeah, we're the dream guys. And uh, he said, well, here's my dream I had a couple weeks ago, and he started sharing his dream. And I don't even know if his dream had anything to do with this, but as he's sharing his dream, the Holy Spirit comes on me and says, his parents are praying for him. So I stopped him. I said, are your parents praying for you? And his eyes just filled up. He said, yes, they are. I said, well, their prayers are going to win. And he's like, I know. <laughs> I mean, the Holy Spirit just came in there. We're dream interpreting. How are we going to reach these people? You've got to reach them where they are. You've got to get them on their level. My friend did this in Vermont. They had a dream interpreting thing, and they did this drumming. This is a new thing. They sit there and they bang drums. It's called drumming. Have you ever heard of it? 
Okay, it's, it's this another new age thing. You're supposed to drum and then, I don't know what happens, your soul gets cleaned up. <laughs> so you sit there and you do these drums. So they did a big drumming session. So they got the youth group together and they got these bongos and these drums and they're all sitting around their drum and everybody's like, oh, they're drumming down the street. So all the aesthetics are coming out and all the new agey type people and they're doing this. And one of the girls, you know, he said, bring your talents. What do you do? She says, well, I like to draw and paint. Okay, we'll bring an easel. We'll set it up. We'll get some paper on there and we'll let you do that. So she draws this picture of a girl in a blue dress down by the sea. And she said, I think it's for that lady over there. He said, well, why don't you go bring it to her and tell her? So she did. She walked over to her and said, God showed me this picture and I wanted to give it to you. I think it's God speaking to you. And the woman looked at it and immediately fell apart. That was the year she was raped and that was the dress she was wearing. And she said, God knew that? Yes. And she gave her heart to Jesus right there. That girl never would have walked into a church. Never. We have to go out there and find creative ways to love people and to get the truth to them. We have to find, we have to revolutionize the way we think. We have to revolutionize the things we do. And when we do that, it changes everything. We have to help people navigate their journey between the two kingdoms because they don't know how to do it. They know they're there. Everybody in this world knows what they don't want somebody to do to them. I don't care who you are. We all know it. It's in there. It's sealed in our hearts, Romans 2. Our conscience is bearing witness, rather excusing or accusing us. In everything we do, it's universal. We all know there's an up and a down, there's a right and a left, there's a negative and a positive. One of the biggest problems we have is disqualifying ourselves because we're not good enough. I don't know enough Bible. Oh, that's a sad joke, kind of an excuse. I hardly ever use the Bible. I use my heart and I just love. I had a client, uh, I, he wasn't a client, but I went to this behavioral conference in Rhode Island. I met a guy there who was trained by the same person that trained me. He was like an atheist. And we ended up having lunch together. You talk about opportunity. I'm always saying, God, you gotta give me opportunities. So I sat down at the table, he sits down, he puts his hands behind his head and he goes, ah, thinking about trying out Buddhism. I don't even know him. That's like the first thing he said. And I'm like, what would you do? I said, really? What is it you see in Buddhism that's so attractive? Well, you know, he started talking about it. And I said, that's interesting. What's your background? Oh, Catholic. Oh, really? Yeah. I said, give me your napkin. So he gave me his napkin. I wrote on it. How many hydrogen atoms are in the known universe? And I gave it back to him. I said, I have a question for you. If you get it right, you're going to heaven. If you get it wrong, you're going to hell. Let's play. And he looked at it and he goes, I don't know the answer to that. So I said, give me the napkin. And I turned it over and I wrote 104 to the 10th power. And I handed it back to him. I said, the answer's on the back. And he turns it over and he goes, well, that's cheating. I says, I know, isn't it great? That's Christianity. <laughs> you know what he did? He went like this. I think I need to rethink this. <laughs> and then I ate. It didn't come up again. I just ate. He called me a month later and started talking to me. Six months, for six months, he's calling me periodically. 
for six months. And when the pastor in Colorado had that major fall, that TV preacher, he called me up. And he goes, aha! I said, aha what? He goes, did you read about this, that, and the other? Did you see it on television? I said, yeah. He goes, what do you got to say about that? I said, I'll answer that question if you answer mine. He said, all right. I said, are there crooked doctors in the world or doctors who make terrible mistakes? Yes. Well, what do you do when you break your leg? Well, you go to the doctor. Are there policemen that snort cocaine and, and take advantage of people and, and do all kinds of crazy, whacked out things? What do you do when, when somebody rams into your car and threatens to leave the seat of the accident? Who do you call? I call the police. Why don't you go to church? He goes, oh, you got me on that one. <laughs> a couple of months later, he called me up and said, I will come, I want to fly out there, and I want to pay you $800 a day to pick your brain. And he did. And within four hours, he was on the carpet in my office, weeping, giving his heart to Christ. He was an atheist. And as he's crying, he's going, I used to want to be a priest. When I was eight, I wanted to be a priest. And something had happened that derailed his train. You know, and I, I don't know anything about Buddhism. What do I know about Buddhism? I don't know nothing about Buddhism or Taoism or whatever. I don't know. But a creative idea came to me, and I just shared a creative idea just to get him thinking. I had a Jewish man that printed up my business cards. And I went in and talked to him. And I said, you know what, every time I pass by here, I pray for you. What? He says. Why? I says, because I love you. <laughs> you love me? What do you mean you love me? I said, I love you. You're, the, you're such a great guy. He's on a camel going like this in front of the pyramids of Giza. Big picture on his wall. <laughs> He's so cool. He's got the beard and all the authenticity going on. I love this guy. And I told him I was a Christian. And he says, I've got one for you. When you're dead, you're dead like a dog. There's nothing... You, you just go to sleep, and that's it, because that's how you, you are before you're born. That's got to be how you are after. What's your rebuttal? That's what he said to me. And I said, I don't have one. That's the greatest plan ever. He goes, what do you mean? I said, to live any way you want, no repercussion, and then die in your sleep, and then there's nothing? I'm going to get more girls. That's great. And then I looked at my watch, and I said, i got to get out of here, Dan. His name was Dan, Daniel. I says, I got to go. And as I'm walking out the door, he gets up from his desk and he runs to the door and he yells out the door, this conversation's not over! <laughs> People are hungry for Jesus. They don't even know it. I came back there. I must have been a year later. And he says, I got to go in for shoulder surgery. And I said, what's the matter with your shoulder? And he says, I got a torn rotator cuff. I said, can I pray for it? Would you like that? What? What do you mean? How would you do that? I says, I would get up from here, I'd walk over there where you are. <laughs> I'd take my hand, I'd put it on your shoulder, and i ask God if he will heal it. I says, I mean, he, he might heal it. He can heal it. He might not heal it, I'll be honest with you, because sometimes it doesn't work, and I nor you know why. But if you're going to shoot at a target, you might as well aim, right? And he goes like this. Okay, now part of me wants you to do this, and then there's another part of me that doesn't. And I said, what's the battle? He says, because if it works, I'll have to change my entire way of living. I said, yes, you will. And you know what he said? Okay. 
And I went over there and I laid hands on his shoulder in his office and I prayed for it. And he ended up having the surgery. But when he came back, he's like, the doctor says he's never seen it heal this quick. Like he's looking for reasons to count God into the mix. He's trying to create them. He was so hungry. I never led him in a prayer to Jesus. But I know one day that will happen. Because he's on a journey and I was just one of the tumbleweeds that blew through during the 14 years that I lived near him. 14 years I did this. Touches. And when I went to move to Dallas just recently, I saw him at the post office. I said, he goes, I see the house is for sale. I said, yeah, I'm moving to Dallas. His eyes started filling up with tears. He said, there's one thing about you. You're so authentic. And every time I see you, even though there's long periods of time between it, we just pick up where we left off. You've been a great friend. I felt like kissing him. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, I hope some of these things encourage you. You can do anything. Now, don't get all weird because I do some of these weird things. It's kinda, it is a little radical, and I know some of you are not wired like that. You're quieter, and you're more subtle, and you know, you're different. We're all different. But there are creative ways to do things with your own wiring. There are creative ways to be you and still get results. I come in the front door with a bazooka. You may slip in through a back window with a jackknife. But we can both get the job done. We can both get the job done, you see. We're still killing the devil. We're just doing it differently. So think about your life, your work, who's out there. Take some chances. Let the Holy Spirit work through you. And don't be afraid. Fear will kill you. It'll kill your creativity. Be creative. Be loving. Be normal. And see great things happen in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. Good. Open the praying. I'm yeah. just going to ask him to pray for us and, uh, Absolutely. this morning, and, and just that that same anointing that's on him will be on us. All right. Holy Spirit, we invite you. You see, when I say that, the Holy Spirit's already here, but we invite him and allow him to do something. That's what that means. It's not like he's like, oh my God, he just called me. I've got to go to that church today. He's already here because he's in you. So when we say, Holy Spirit, we invite you, we're saying, change me because I'm sick and tired of myself. That's what we're doing. So Holy Spirit, come. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will wash over all these people in a dynamic, creative way and draw out of every one of them their creative pieces. Lord, I just pray right now that when they go to work this week, they'll have a newfound courage, an absence of self like they never had before. And they won't just embark on some weird opportunity so they can come up with a testimony that they tried it. They'll be sensitive to your voice and listen. And it might take one, two, three weeks. It might take three months. But they're waiting for the right opportunity because when the right door opens and you walk through it, God always shows up and it always works. The reason why it doesn't work is because God isn't doing it. God stepped over many a people before he, he asked that one man, what do you want me to do for you? at the pool of Bethesda. He walked over everybody else that was laying there squirming on the ground and only ministered to one. Why? Because it was going to work. So we have to pick ripe fruit, not green fruit. we got to pick ripe fruit. Lord, help them right now to pick the ripe fruit. Not just pick any fruit, the ripe fruit. 
This fruit that's sitting there waiting to fall off the tree, all you have to do is bump into it and it falls into our hands. Thank you, God. So Lord, give them a yes. creative mind and intuition to see the ripe fruit yes. on these trees, to see it. And then in Jesus' name, they will with courage go after it with yes. everything that is in Thank them. You, God. That they will not fear their level of knowledge. They will not fear the fact that they screwed up last week. Well, welcome to earth. We all screw up. Repent and move on. We don't have time for regret. We've got a harvest out there that needs reaping. And so in Jesus' name, I pray that that boldness like a lion would come over these people. They'd be bold as a lion. Bold as a lion. You know, God uses lions as an illustration for a reason. You know a lion, after four licks, will lick your head clean off. Because of that tongue, is like 80-grit sandpaper. It'll lick the skin right off your head. They can take a, a full-grown cow, put it in their mouth, and jump a six-foot fence. A full-grown lion. They can run 30 miles an hour and leap 30 feet. That's why you've got to watch out for the devil. You've got to watch out for that stuff. He prowls around looking for people that are susceptible to his insults and the fact that he tries to tell you you're worthless. You're worth everything. You're worth everything. That's why Jesus died for you. So right now, in the name of Jesus, all those concepts about not being able, not being strong enough, smart enough, young enough, old enough, all of it, we just wipe it away in the name of Jesus and we let your creativity come and your power come to enable them to do dynamic things for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Take a hold of it. Amen. We see that this morning. I, I appreciate Steve, and you can see is when I, when I met him, it's like, we've got to share this because that is the Great Commission. Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving others as yourself. I mean, that's what it's all about, and, and, and being what God wants you to be. And um, he wouldn't mention this, but I want to mention it. Uh, he's written a couple books that he has with him here today. And if you want more of the stories that he was telling today, there's a book called The Power of Accidental Increase that he wrote with a lot of the stories. And uh, you can go ahead and take a look at that. And then a uh, book that's being really uh, thrust into the business community and being picked up by uh, major organizations. I think you said Verizon's having their, their uh, leadership read this and all these other papers. Uh, places are using it. There's more to management than a big desk, and that's his uh, uh, newest book. And so you can go ahead and uh, grab those in line. They're $10 each. He's, he's giving them to us uh, at a deal today. So again, that's available for you in the lobby, and I encourage you to pick those up. And we want to receive an offering because uh, he does this on a corporate level. And uh, but we're going to do. We're actually having him here to work on the staff. And again, it's it's it doesn't cost what it costs the corporations. Thank you, Steve, and thank you, Jesus. Um, but uh, it's it's very minimal. But it is. We we want to be a blessing to him. He's blessed us in a, a tremendous way. And again, we just want to sow seed and, and see that harvest draped. And and I just appreciate. It. We just went out to dinner last night, and there were just some insights even while we were talking that are revolutionary. And I'm really enjoying our time together, and look forward to meeting with the staff and Steve tomorrow. But uh, uh, we want to be a blessing to him, and so I'm going to invite the men and women to come down, and as they do, we're going to pray a blessing uh, over Steve, his life, his ministry, and uh, he's been a blessing to us, and we want to be a blessing to him. God, we thank you uh, for the gift that you've given us uh, today, and Lord, I thank you for Steve. I thank you for his, his sensitivity to you. God, I pray that uh, what you've done in his life would be sparked in our life, and God, we pray that you continue to anoint him and continue to bless him. 
with your favor, with your grace, God. And uh, God, I pray that uh, while he is here in Chicago, that he would be built up, made strong in you. And uh, God, that he will be closer to you when he leaves than when he came. And God, we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As you give this morning, I want to welcome Pastor Merrill home. Would you welcome him here as he just gives a very quick uh, report from India? Come on up, Pastor Merrill. Thank you, Pastor Darrell, and thank you all of you for your prayers while we were in India. All I can say is God was with us, kept us. Praise God for health and strength and anointing and blessing. And uh, you can really feel the prayers. I think we mentioned several times Chris Ullman went with me this time and uh, was surprised. He said, you can really tell when people are praying while you're out there. And there was such a tremendous anointing. The reason we were there, this was the first week of the new semester. And uh, they wanted me to come and teach on the Holy Spirit every morning. Put the student body in one room. I had 140 uh, people in my class every morning teaching about the Holy Spirit. Dr. Matthew Thomas, uh, president, said, I want everybody to be on the same page of what we know about the Holy Spirit. Dealt with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in other tongues, presence of the Holy Spirit. And it was just responsive, just a full room of uh, young people who are now training before they go into the semester to teach on the Holy Spirit. Uh, Chris Oman went with me, and he taught the uh, graduate level uh, every day. Well, I'm talking about six, seven hours a day on creationism versus evolution, which is one of his specialties, and was so well received. Everybody there refers to him as uh, Professor Oman, and uh, they just ate up what he was saying. And as you know, I don't take many pictures when I'm over there. But if you want to see any pictures, just check with Chris. He at least had 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. I mean, pictures of everything. Uh, he said his grandson Harrison likes uh, cows. His, his mother's, is that right? And uh, he took a picture of every cow in India, I think. <laughs> Everyone. We took a train ride uh, to get there after flying uh, many, many hours. And then had to take a train out to Itarsi where we were. And uh, I was sitting next to Chris. He sat the whole time, the whole train ride, with his camera on the window, going till the, till the battery run down. Then he switched to a movie camera for the rest of the trip. He has got pictures of everything. But uh, he was totally excited about everything in India. I've never seen anybody so excited. Just everything excited him. He just so thrilled to be there. To me, it's old hat after... 19 years, but man, he really enjoyed it. So it's a real blessing, and we both really appreciate your prayers that God was with us. Amen. 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 Um, we want to pray for Chris because he's a little bit under the weather. Oh, yep. Megan? Okay. Yes. We call that the Indian diet when you come home, but uh, yes. Well, we do want to pray for Chris, and we're going to stand for the blessing of the Lord this morning. If God has spoken to your heart today, and uh, you don't know Jesus, and, and you want to know him, something was triggered in your heart, um, inside your bulletin, there's just an explanation of, of how to give your heart to Jesus. And, and so I'm just going to ask you to look inside there, and there's also a packet up here. Just come up, take one. Just They're free. Just take them and go. It's got a Bible and a bunch of explanation, things like that, because we want you to know about Jesus and to have him in your heart and in your life. And uh, for those of us that know Jesus, you got your marching orders, it's time to go out. And so let's go out with the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you 
and keep you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. God, I thank you for that blessing that rests upon your children. But God, we just realized today that blessing, that favor, that protection is because we're going out into a battle. God, we're going out with marching orders today. And so, Lord, as we go out, thank you for being with us. God, keep us safe, keep us strong until we can gather together again as the church and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you go, if you want to spend a little more time with God, you can stay in here and do that. Fellowship with one another, but do not leave without signing a card for the troops. Letting the Holy Spirit speak to you, maybe a verse, maybe a word. Do that in the lobby. Fill out a card. Pick up a book, one of uh, his books in the lobby. And uh, if you need special prayer, it'll be down front. You want to talk to Steve, he'll be down here as well. But God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. Strong.